I'm still a little sick, but I'm on the mend. Not exactly at death's door, but let's just say I'm peeking through the keyhole. The cough has finally packed up its bags and left, which is a big deal when your job revolves around yapping like a chihuahua at a squirrel convention. Some of you have been crying about how you don't know when the show stops for the ad read, so I'll announce it this time, okay? You've probably heard this part more times than uh, Mariah Carey at Christmas time, but let's give it a go again. Give it a rating wherever you're listening, be it Apple, Spotify, MySpace, or Grinder. Give it five stars if you like it, or one star if you find this as enjoyable as a root canal. Be sure to follow us online on all the bullshits. Anyways, welcome to episode number Who Gives a Shit of the Valley Boys. I am your host, Dave Weasel. Let's get this over with. So there I was, you know, chained to my bed like a Victorian ghost for a couple of weeks, voice gone, like my ambitions in my 20s, couldn't do the podcast, but hey, I was still kicking it on Sundays, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mustered enough energy to drag myself to a football game, because you know how it goes, and then the next week went to Punk in the Park Festival, man, that's an absolute blast, by the way. Um, now let's talk to the Chargers and Bears. Even if you're remotely into football, this isn't a football podcast. We're not going to be talking to much about it. But the golden rule of this is if you don't score 30 points against the Bears, you're basically one step away from being shipped off to the CFL in Canada. Okay, no offense to our neighbors up north, but that's a joke. So with the Chargers, they won. Okay, they put up 30 points. Everyone's feeling high and mighty. Decide to Uber back to Orange County, and oh boy, what a saga that was. Okay, so about four of us pile in, and our Uber driver must have been a tortoise in his past life because he decides to do 50 miles per hour on a freeway. Okay, the minimum is 65, but who does 65 at night? The unspoken rule is 70, or at least keeping up with traffic. But no, not this guy. We're being passed by every single car, feeling like a, a statue in the middle of the lane. It's like it's like a, we were part of a drive-through museum exhibit. You know, and I'm not I'm not the confrontational type, but come on, this was just ridiculous. So I'll, I start off with my best passive aggressive comments. You know, I'm like, hey, should we get a bowl of candy to throw at people that were parading past? But, you know, subtly isn't his strong suit. He doesn't say a word. So I ramp it up. I'm like, hey, driving this slow is actually dangerous. And then finally, my patience snaps like a cheap umbrella in a hurricane. And I demand, all right, you got to pull over and drop us off. And he understands that. And he's ready to stop right there on the freeway. And I'm like, no, man, the nearest exit. Come on. So he takes the exit and he's asking if he should stop right there on the exit ramp. And I'm like, my God, what's next? The middle of a roundabout? So I tell him, no, drop us off in the first parking lot. And he does. Finally, we get out, throw some choice comments his way, and he speeds off. So now he knows how to drive. But whatever, it's not a big deal. We call the next Uber and the guy knows what's up. He drives 65 like a normal person. And I'm wondering if the first guy was just slow because he thought he'd make more money that way. Like, if the trip is longer, he makes more. But no, the new driver sets it straight. He's like, it's all about mileage, not time, apparently. So, you know, the first guy was just wasting everyone's time, including his own. But whatever, we all made it home safe, and that's what counts, right? Still, what a night. I've seen more. I've seen snails with more urgency. But yeah, the the next week we went to uh, Punk in the Park. If you're not familiar, it's in Orange County. Um, it's, it's, it's a blast from the past, okay? It's... It was like a who's who of bands I thought only existed in my angsty teenage diary, you know, like the Lawrence Arms, Teenage Bottle Rocket, Goldfinger, The Descendants, The Buzzcocks, uh, The Casualties, all for like 40 bucks. I felt like I was robbing someone, you know, and um, I was really there to see my buddy Pete Parada. Uh, he used to be the drummer for The Offspring for like two decades, but uh, he got the boot over the whole vaccine shebang. I'm not getting into that can of worms, but Pete's now, he's rocking it with his new band, The Defiant, okay? And it was their first show, and I had to see it. They And they just blew the roof off, you know? Um, got to hang out with Pete afterward. He's a top-notch dude. Go follow him. He's at Pete, P-A-R-A-D-A, 
Um, but whatever, the whole show was off the charts, okay? Um, my friends, one of them who I've mentioned on this podcast many times as a guy who always knows how to turn a night up to 11, he had VIP passes, you know? He was uh, friends with somebody in Goldfinger, so he's, he managed to sneak us backstage, you know, arm in arm, one by one, pretending to be drunk. Didn't have to exactly give Academy Award winning performances on that, you know, unless I'm some kind of method actor. Um, they flashed their wristbands and then we're in, you know, like a group of uh, ninjas at a silent disco. So we're stage side, like not just in the VIP area, but we managed to sneak on the side of the stage as well. So there's two different areas and we're up there for Goldfinger, which is just mind blowing when you see him that close, you know, and uh, uh, but then my friends after that show decide to pull a Houdini and leave. And which was perfect timing because that's when security actually starts doing their job and checking the wristbands for the stage side. So perfect timing. They hand us their wristbands and we were suddenly backstage royalty. But well, back there in the VIP area, there's this um, three ladies at a picnic table. They all got beers in hand and feasting like it's their last meal on earth. Now, all three of these women had a stature that says, I laugh in the face of portion control. That's not a dig on fat people. Okay, I am fat people. I'm somewhere between having every fast food app on my phone and eating pie in the shower, okay? I'm not doing the fat shaming, but this story, it hinges on their gravitational presence. So suddenly, two of the ladies get up, and the one that's sitting on the edge of the picnic table, she performs an act of uh, Newtonian physics I've never seen before. She tipped the picnic table over, okay? And we're talking a full-on medieval siege weapon catapulting beer cans and tater tots like she's defending a castle. I mean, I thought I knew my way around fast food, but I've never weaponized a picnic table before. So there she is, flopped on the concrete. Her friends are just standing there not doing anything, probably thinking, oh, I'm just glad it's not me. So whatever, I go to help her up. But man, have you ever tried to lift a drunk person? They're like spaghetti, just, just completely limp biscuit. And so here's the thing about falling down. When you reach... When, you, when somebody goes to help you and you reach with one hand up, it means I'm going to try here, okay? You're essentially using the person helping you as leverage, and you're going to pull yourself up, you know? But when you reach with two hands, it means you better plant your feet and take a deep breath because you're taking the wheel here. But this lady, she's not even trying. She just gave up and thought she'll live her life there on the ground. And she's even laughing at my efforts of uh, doing my best impression of a crane trying to lift a boulder. Now, just when I think I got reinforcements coming, this guy shows up, but nope, he's not there to help at all. He's the festival photographer, snapping away like he's found the next cover of National Geographic. And I'm thinking, oh, great, these photos are going to look like I orchestrated the tater tot apocalypse. But by some miracle, the pictures never saw the light of day. So, you know, there I am trying to lift a human beer can and mix a storm of fries and half-eaten burgers. And thanks to the photo gods sparing me the embarrassment of being immortalized as the guy who caused the great tater tot catastrophe of 2023, which I had nothing to do with. So anyways, anyways, my friends all leave. They give us the wristbands. Um, we tuck them under ours and we sneak up for the descendants on side stage. You know, what a treat that is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about punk shows. So at 39 years old, I'm like the median age. I'm not the youngest, but I'm certainly not the oldest. But, um, there's still a crowd on the side of the stage, maybe maybe four or five people deep, okay? So it's, there's a few people there. And I'm thinking, shouldn't there be an unspoken rule here? Like, tall guys stand in the back, okay? And let the teenagers, like the future of punk, get up front. I mean, there was one kid, he said it was his 16th birthday. He's probably lying, but he was stuck behind a human skyscraper. I mean, come on, let the kids see the show. Let's show the next generation the ropes, you know? And uh, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, Pete, Pete Parada... 
Man, he is a drummer so good, he can make a metronome feel insecure. I've got plans to snag him up for my own band when I dust the guitar off the old shit, dust the dust off the old shit guitar. <laughs> but here's the deal. Every every great drummer needs a nickname, all right? And for him, I'm thinking Stinky Pete. It's got a nice ring to it. Now, don't get me wrong, Pete doesn't reek or anything. I mean, if we're handing out stink titles based on merit, I would be crowned Stinky Dave in a heartbeat. But Stinky Beat, man, that rolls off the tongue like a runway meatball. So, you know, uh, not all nicknames are love at first sight, okay? Take Weasel, for instance. I fought against that one like I was a, a, a rabid badger, okay? But the thing is, the more you squirm, the tighter the nickname clings to you. It's like trying to shake off a super, a super glue handshake. Eventually, I just had to wave the white flag and embrace it. So here I am, Dave Weasel. But hey, let's count our blessings, right? No nickname on this planet is as bad as Floater, okay? This kid, this kid, he hailed from uh, the legendary land of uh, Summer Camp, you know, where nicknames are like badges of dishonor. Mine was probably Stinky Dave, but this kid, he took the cake, or should I say, left the cake unflushed. All right, one unfortunate bathroom incident, and boom, he's Christian Floater. And of course, he denied it. But then he goes and does an encore performance. So you know what? You leave two floaters, your name is Floater. And his real name was something straight out of a Dickens novel, Gregory Chestnut. I mean, I probably shouldn't use his real name, but whatever. That's It sounds exactly like a character who takes a dump in a communal bathroom and doesn't flush. Gregory Chestnut. And he was a weirdo who did karate. You know, there's there's nothing dorkier and less intimidating than a kid who takes karate too seriously. At least the ones I knew, okay? They strut around like they're Bruce Lee reincarnated, but really, uh, if they encounter some bad news in a dark alley, they just take a dump and not flush, okay? I, I've known a bunch of these karate kids, you know, hitting the black belt status at 14, thinking they're the next Chuck Norris, but then flash forward to adulthood, and, and what are they now? Dorks. Okay, they might have mastered the art of losing their ego, but couldn't lose their virginity until they could afford to pay for it. But let me tell you, um, I wasn't just an observer in the world of karate dorkdom. I was a card-carrying member, okay? That's right, I took karate as a kid. But let's be clear, I was about as good at taking karate as a fish is at climbing a tree. I never made it past yellow belt, which in the karate world is handed to you once you can tie it yourself. Um karate class for us was less about learning martial arts and, and more like a it was more like a glorified babysitting session in the gym after school okay my brother and I we were just killing time there flopping around on the floor like someone catapulted from a picnic table at a punk show our karate moves they were they were so off the mark that we couldn't be trusted with the cool shit like nunchucks you know I mean if there was a belt for effort we wouldn't have even earned that um, so there's my brother, you know, the Picasso of karate fails. He's, uh, he's in one of those sparring matches, right? But instead of doing actual karate moves, he decides it's WWE time, even yelling out all the catchphrases, you know? And I think one time he did a fart on a kid. Yeah, a fart move. And the karate dorks will tell you that is not real karate. But you know what? After that stunt, they demoted my brother back to white belt. So our, um... Our karate instructor, I remember his name, it was Mr. Deke. Mr. Deke was the epitome of dork, dude. He had a parrot. And not just that, he would bring the parrot to class. Until we started teaching it dirty words. Or trying to. And I used to do that thing that all 
older brothers do to their younger siblings, which is tell them the opposite of the truth about everything in existence. Okay, you know how many little brothers out there have spent hours bashing bricks and Mario looking for a sword that doesn't exist? Okay, that was my brother. He's only two years younger than me, but when you're that age, it's like decades more of street experience. So I convinced him. Uh, one thing I did was I would always convince him that everything translated to dick in some language or another, uh, including our instructor's name, Mr. Deke. I'm like, it's basically Mr. Penis in sophisticated speech. You know, and that's what I would tell him. And the little guy would crack up every time he heard it. Anytime he's like, okay, Mr. Deke's coming in, he'd be like, I bet. Um, there, was a, there was another small town nearby, Leduc, in rural Alberta, Canada. And um, I told my brother that Leduc was le dick in the French speak, you know? That translates to the dick in English. Because here's the thing, I'm in grade two, you know? I'm already learning French in school. And I convinced him that this was part of the curriculum. And he's like, they named a town the dick? And I go, yeah. And my brother would laugh so hard every time he heard it. My mom thought he might need to start wearing a helmet to bed. Okay, you know what? I need to backpedal a little bit on karate dorks, okay? I got a little carried away with, the, with that. It's just being slightly hyperbolic. It's not, it's not that they couldn't kick my ass. That is not a question. Nor is it an accomplishment. They just seem like the type to grow up and put a wolf poster on their living room wall, you know? A black belt in jiu-jitsu, on the other hand, that guy could rip your face off and wear it as a mask. A karate dork, he'll just apologize after you back into him in a parking lot. And now a word from our sponsor, Pretty Litter. All right, let's talk about the unsung hero of cat ownership, Kitty Litter. Specifically, Pretty Litter. Now, I'm no Dr. Doolittle, but when it comes to my cats doing the happy dance, that is a good day. The problem is... Cats are more mysterious than a magician's hat. You never know what's going on in their fuzzy little brains. That's where Pretty Litter swings in like a superhero. First off, this stuff is like the Navy Seals of Litter. It traps odor faster than you could say, stinky cat bathroom. I mean, we've all been there, right? Your cat does its business and suddenly your place smells like a porta potty at a punk rock music festival. But with Pretty Litter, it's more like your cat just little fancy little cat candle in there. Now let's talk differences. If traditional litter is a clunky old car, Pretty Litter is a sleek, shiny sports car. This stuff has ultra-absorbent crystals. We're talking less mess, less dust. It's the litter equivalent of a spotless kitchen after a five-course meal. And these magic crystals last up to a month. That means less scooping, less trudging through the trash, and doing more time doing whatever you want with your life. But here's the magic. Pretty Litter changes colors. Now, I'm not talking mood ring changes here. I'm talking health detective. It's like having a mini cat doctor in your litter box, giving you the heads up on potential health issues like urinary tract infections or kidney shenanigans. It's peace of mind in a bag of litter. Because let's be honest, our cats are, they're like little fluffy enigmas and we need all the help we can get. And to top it off, a pretty litter gets delivered right to my door. No more hauling giant containers of litter around that announce to the world, yes, I own a cat, and yes, it drops dumps. This stuff is light, easy, and space-saving. It's like having litter on tap without the bulky keg. So there you have it. Pretty litter, making life easier, homes fresher, and giving us cat owners a little insight into the mysterious world of our feline friends. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as I do. Go to prettylitter.com slash valleyboys and use code valleyboys to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash valleyboys. Use code valleyboys to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash valleyboys. Code valleyboys. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
man, you know what else I was thinking is, um, what if, what if other things came with little prizes like they do in cereal boxes, you know? And I don't mean Uber Eats giving the eventual prize of diabetes. It's like, let's say you order a burger and then hidden under the bun is a little gym membership trial card. It's like the universe's way of saying, okay, enjoy your meal, but maybe think about a salad tomorrow. You know, the culinary equivalent of a backhanded compliment. Okay, or what about uh, with Budweiser? Imagine cracking open a beer. Instead of just a little buzz, there's a prize at the bottom. And it, it's, it's maybe a miniature breathalyzer. You know, a friendly reminder from your beer can. Hey, buddy, it's time to hand over those car keys. It's like a fortune cookie, but instead of vague life advice, it's a real-time check-in on your sobriety. But what if, uh, what if Jim Beam gave out little cereal box prizes, you know? Jim Beam, the white trash champagne for celebrating Tuesday night like it's New Year's. You open a bottle, inside there's a, a little coupon for when your wife wakes up with a black eye, you get 10% off legal consultant fees from a lawyer with a ponytail. Or a Jim B mood ring. You know, when it turns brown, it means you shit your pants. When it turns red, oh, time to go fuck a mailbox. <laughs> Don't fuck a mailbox. That would be weird on your 23. Oh, so remember, okay, remember an episode or two uh, when I talked about that, the 23andMe thing? Um, and how I do not want to be part of a database. Well, guess what headline got sent to me recently? It's um, drug makers are set to pay 23andMe millions to access uh, consumer DNA. Yep, you heard that right. We're now living in a sci-fi movie, but instead of cool laser guns and flying cars, we're just selling our genetic secrets for what? A coupon code? But here's the deal. 23andMe, that company that you send your, your spit to to, so you, if you, to find out if you're 2% more Irish than you thought is cashing in big time. All right, these drug companies, line it up, checkbooks in hand, ready to dive into our DNA like it's a Black Friday sale. And I'm sitting here thinking, when did my saliva become a hot commodity? I mean, if I would have known, I would have been bottling this up years ago. But let's unpack this a little. We've got millions of people sending their DNA to find out if they're related to Genghis Khan or maybe a lesser-known Kardashian or if they should start wearing leather breeches. Meanwhile, these drug companies are not looking for cool ancestry stories like your great-grandpa's arm wrestling a bear or something. It's they want, they want to make drugs tailored to our genetics, all right? One day, I'm going to get a letter saying, based on your DNA, we've determined that you're half circus performer, half feral raccoon, and we're probably raised by wolves, so therefore you're a walking liability. But check it out, you're .001 Neanderthal. How about adding a loincloth in your Amazon cart? And let's not forget about Uncle Conspiracy. You know the one, always ranting at family dinners or, or Thanksgiving coming up about how, how the government is tracking us through our microwaves. Well, now he's strutting around going like, I told you so, wrapping his living room in more tinfoil because apparently selling your DNA online is less concerning than the idea of the FBI listening to your toaster conversations. But now it's like we're part of this giant Petri dish and the, the scientists are the ones with the deep pockets. It's a weird, weird world we're living in. You know, one day your DNA isn't just your identity. It's a hot ticket item in the biggest biological lottery. And all I can think is if my DNA is worth millions, can I at least get a cut of that? You know, Maybe a, kick me a free health, health checkup, you know? I'll even settle for a, for a t-shirt that says, my genetic code helped fund a pharmaceutical company and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Dude, welcome to the future. It's so weird here. All right, I'm gonna go order some chicken soup because, you know, nothing says I'm taking care of myself like a bowl filled with basically just hot chicken water. They say that's good for the soul, but let's get real here. It's the soup equivalent of getting a pat on the back when you really needed a hug. 
Chicken soup when you're sick is like that responsible friend who insists you drink water between shots. It's like, okay, it's good for you, but it's not a wild ride. It's the minivan of soups. It's reliable, sensible, and about as exciting as watching paint dry. Now, broccoli cheddar soup, on the other hand, that's the party soup. Okay, that's the friend who encourages you to do karaoke after a few drinks. Man, broccoli cheddar, that's a soup that says, who cares about nutrients? Let's have some fun. It's the sports car of soups. It's not the healthiest choice, but it's definitely more thrilling. Ordering chicken soup is like admitting you're ready to tuck yourself into bed at 8 p.m. But broccoli cheddar, man, that's the soup you order when you want to feel like you're at the party, even, even if uh, the only guests are you and your Netflix account. It's the culinary equivalent of putting on a party hat while sitting alone in your living room. So whatever. Well, I go um, and ignore the party soup for the chicken water. You go follow us online. We are at Valley Boys Pod on Twitter, at Valley Boys Podcast on Instagram, and also Valley Boys Podcast on TikTok for whatever reason. We're on there now. I am at Dave Weasel across the board. I did not pay for my blue check mark because I am not a karate dork. From Orange County, California, by way of Le Dick, Canada, it's my turn to ruin Thanksgiving. I'll update you on that next week. Good night.